Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. So you touched upon something that in our first exclusive interview that wasn't released, we we talked a lot about, which is um, your nonprofit organization and really the connection of nature, dream catcher meadow, the farm, just everything that you have. So, and, and we, you know, we shared how, you know, in, in my previous, you know, before I, I became a parent advocate, I was actually um, a music therapist and a recreation therapist. And my, um, my master's thesis was in animal assisted therapy. And that's a huge focus in what you're doing. So let's shine a light on that now, because that really excites me to hear what you're doing through your nonprofit and through Dreamcatcher. Well, you know, um, I really appreciate your saying that. And I was so excited to learn of your background because it's, it's very much in line with what we're doing here. I uh, established the nonprofit Seventh Generation Foundation back in 2014 with the idea based on the philosophy that we are the seventh generation of seven since colonialization, and we are responsible for seven generations to come. We've been impacted by decisions that have been made for seven generations. We're, we're really now responsible for changing the way that things are for seven to come. And having said that, in then 2000. 16, I did what I had wanted to do since 2001 when I moved to Maryland. I bought a small farm and we've over the last few years been developing since 2016 um, this idea of uh, a place, a third place. It's not home. It's not school or work. It's a third place that most social scientists and sociologists would say everyone needs that kids can, you know, kind of put in their mind that, hey, I have this special place that I go to sometimes. And for us, we've decided to focus on social opportunities, recreational opportunities, and vocational opportunities. And how we achieve each one of those are a little different, but we're going to be providing agricultural education and agricultural tourism on our little farm. And it's not, it's not a petting zoo at all. These are hand-raised animals that many of them were bottle babies. Some of them were rejected by their birth moms, just like some of the kids who come. Uh, some have minor birth defects, like two nipples, like some of the goats have two nipples on each udder, um, which meant they couldn't stay with those birth defects in the, in the farm that they were from. And the children really connect to that. So hearing that our alpha goat, Rami, who was my first with his sister, Rosie, who's a fainting goat, um, Rami was rejected by his birth mom. She had to be tied to the milking stand to milk him, whereas he would sit there and watch Rosie getting fed normally and getting nuzzled and cared for by the mom. But the mom had to literally be tied to the milking stand to be able to milk him. And so they hear this and they love Rami, they hug him. 
you know, they hear that little um, Noah, who's our 200-pound coon coon pig, was rescued from a situation where his birth mom died giving birth. For some of them, that did happen, you know. Um, And so then they connect really well with Noah. Every one of our animals has its own story. Um, But we, um, you know, are able to have the children come and, and, you know, occasionally we will have, um, you know, a school visit or a a therapeutic um, program visit with youth. Um, We occasionally do events on the farm and have people visit, but we've just finished a $50,000 bond bill project with the state of Maryland. We'd put in the bond bill a few years ago. Senator Brian Feldman, our local state senator, sponsored the bond bill. And we just finished five and a half acres of pasture fencing, new paddocks. We have two new paddocks. Um, It's really, really beautiful. It's remarkable. So now we have a space for all our goats. We're going to be bringing in, I just have put in, um, after years of talking to the people at our local horse rescue, I put in to get a, a few horses. You know, of course, we would only get like one a year for, you know, the next few years, but goats and horses go together. They love each other. Um, and we'd only get companion horses that are out to pasture. And at that point, I've, I've also recently put in to do EGALA certification, which is, you know, equine assisted therapy. It's a type of equine assisted therapy. But again, part of it is that my practice runs on the property, which five and a half of the six and a half acres is leased over for zero dollars to the nonprofit. And so the nonprofit is able to operate the farm and to have programs, these social recreational vocational opportunities for youth and children to come in. One of our board members, um, Alicia Rose, is a special needs school teacher for uh, preschool age children, and she's in the process of helping develop some social and emotional education materials for kids. So she's doing it with her. Um, she's a local public school preschool teacher and uh, for special needs kids. And she's starting with our new baby chicks. We had a group of um, teenage moms that we rescued last fall. They were a bunch of hens. They were probably about six weeks old when we rescued them. And they were probably a hundred chickens in this one woman's backyard. Like just, she needed to get rid of them. Animal control had been there. So we, we took 11 chickens and they were all very young, but some of the hens have now started laying eggs. And we had put our little silky chicken, our silky rooster, Mr. Fluffy in with them. And of course, one thing led to another. They decided to become sister wives. So first two sat on the nest and then pretty soon we had all four hens sitting on the nest in in the coop with Mr. Fluffy, right? So I have to come up there and visit because I I want to see this. It was a bunch of sister wives. It was teenage moms, sister wives. Then what happened, I they kept getting on and off, on and off. And I was like, look, it's not going to work out for you girls. I'm taking the eggs because, and then you could see, you know, the chicks, you could see the chicks in various different stages of development because they weren't doing a proper job. Well, come to find out they decided again, they, they got together. They're like, look, we're all getting pregnant. No, but back in the day in Robinson County, where I had worked for my public health degree, there was a whole yes. like eight girls 
from, in yeah. one high school yeah. got pregnant by yeah. one young man, yeah. right? Yeah. So they all got together, did a pack. They said, oh yeah, we're going to all get pregnant. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen one day when those children grow up, which by now they are, and they don't even know who their brother and sister yeah. are, you know, this is a big problem. So we've got these sister wives down there. They're, they then decided to sit on the nest and they are not budging. They did not, they would not let me. And I'm like, okay, we'll see how long this goes. Right. Turns out that mother's day, I go down there because I'm responsible for animal care on the weekends and beep, beep, beep. What? Oh my goodness. Chick. Okay. Oh so the first goodness. chick, we, we took a picture, we posted on Facebook Next morning, the chick had all of the skin pecked off its back. Oh, they no. did not know what, and he was totally dead. Oh, so those sister wives, teenage moms did not do a good job. Oh. So the next one didn't even make it out of the egg. Oh my Seriously, God. they pecked it to death as it was trying to come out the egg. And it's a whole process with these chicks. They, they put a hole in the egg. I don't know if you know. Right. Yeah, no, no. So, and then it takes like a 10 hour process for, but the chick has to come out on their own. So anyway, they pecked that one to death. So I told Jeremy, he's Jeremy uh, Fetters. He's the young man who lives in the barn apartment and helps take care of the the farm. He, um, I said to him, the next time we hear a peeper, you're going to let me know. I'm going to go down. I'm going to be taken (gasps) away from those mothers. I don't, I don't agree that that should be done. So I set up a little fish tank in my office. We put a heat lamp. I've, I've raised chicks. I've hatched chicks and raised chicks many times before. So we did that. And so the next chick and then the following one, um, they're, they're now upstairs because we just upgraded them last night to a 50 gallon tank. Wow. They're, they're now a week old. They're so cute. They're, they're on our Facebook page. If you go on facebook.com and we're at, it, it's listed on there facebook.com backslash the Dreamcatcher farm, but it's Dreamcatcher meadows with an S and there's a little goat on the, um, sort of the face page. Um, she's, uh, white. Her name's praline with like ca- caramel and, uh, black on her face. So she looks like praline ice cream. So that's, uh, that's what's been recently happening is that these chicks who are Mr. Fluffy's babies oh are now there. They've now been introduced to this little preschool class as uh, a way to teach, you know, social and emotional uh, development. And uh, so we're, you know, uploading and talking about the development of these little babies. So yeah. this is why Dr. Rich and I got off on a tangent in our last conversation. And this is why I didn't realize that we weren't recording because we were talking so much about the amazing animals that she has and just how Dreamcatcher is just such a real life example of what happens in so many of our kids' lives, you know, as far as attachment and their stories and everything, they can actually see it in these relationships with the animals and they can, you know, animals we know give unconditional love, you know, except for, you know, the, 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 teen mom chicks, you know, <laughs> but, um, they, but animals give they us want to those teen they, moms. They yeah. want to, have, I'm talking they about just, my chickens. Yeah. They want so much to have, they were starving themselves on that nest. Like wow. literally they were skin and bones. Wow. Okay. But, but wanting those chicks to hatch. 
So I, I want to tell you that the day that um, that they had killed that chick and I had put the little um, the little makeshift brooder in my office. I mean, it worked really nicely. And now we've got the bigger one. But um, this young man adopted from Russia had come to my office for a visit and he, he's like 19. And I was talking to him and his mom about why I decided to take the babies. And he's like, yeah, you really should. That's not right. And, and in his facial expression, I could, I could hear in his voice and see in his facial expression that, that he connected to that, yeah. you know, and that, that many of these young people, like they, they relate to Rosie, who's the painting goat who has myoclonic seizures when right. she gets anxious and she falls over and screams and she can't stop herself from doing that. And I teach people that, Hey, when you have your rage episodes mm-hmm. and you go into the rage, you're going into a fight or flight and you get stuck in limbic. Yeah. the way that Rosie does when she gets stuck in her myoclonic seizure, it's diverting all of her energy into her muscles and she falls over and screams, you know, she's awake. It's not fainting at all. It's like, a, yeah, it's a seizure. And, and the other thing that really resonated from our last conversation too, was how you were telling me like when our kids, when our individuals with brain-based diagnoses, especially with an FASD, when they get into rages or meltdowns, the analogy you used, which just hit home was it's like the incredible Hulk with Dr. Banner, how, when he is Dr. Banner, he doesn't remember what the incredible Hulk did because the incredible Hulk is in that rage fight or flight limbic just stuck like you said just stuck in that almost like a limbic seizure type yeah so they can't access the higher level brain functions yeah so what happens they go they go into fight or flight they shunt to limbic so they go back and if we were on video you could see that if you take apart the human brain you have the neocortex and then the cortex over it that that even um the animals have but you go to the deepest part of the brain and you put a little this is our brain stem and our viewers can't see it but if you look at a brain stem and you just put a little skull over the brain stem that right there is a chicken head this is all that chickens have but they have every all the wiring that we have if you look at this for the eyes the ears the nose the taste buds they have all of that right so that's all contained in the brainstem. So when these kids go into fight or flight and they, um, it's all, you know, the fight or flight button is way deep in our brainstem, right? So you press the fight or flight button instead of being able to take it to the higher level brain functions and process and say, hey, that's not a saber tooth tiger. That's my mom or dad coming to say good night. But this is a child who previously was sexually assaulted in their fifth foster home, you know, or they were beat to death when they were in the orphanage or something, you know, they witnessed abuse in their community. They go into fight or flight and then they shunt to limbic. They go down into limbic because these connections are not there to the higher level brain functions. And you can see that in there's a guy, Christian um, Bouliou, I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. I'm totally murdering it, but um, he's in Canada and he's done studies looking at the brain wiring and how different it is in children who have 
any type of FASD versus just neurotypical brain development. Mm -hmm. He's shown that the, literally the connections are not there because they didn't make it there in development. So instead of, and this, I talk about, you know, this in my book, you know, they, they are not able to access these higher level brain functions. They shunt to limbic and coming out of it, you know, then they say, hi, mom, what's for dinner? Mm -hmm. And mom is sitting there on the couch, still traumatized by the Hulk who was in there, you know, destroying probably an hour before. And then they went upstairs, they took a nap, they slept it off. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very much like a seizure. seizure. all, Mm -hmm. All of this is to me very much like a seizure, even to the point that parents can predict it. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's this other thing that we didn't talk about last time. So predictive parenting is this notion there's positive parenting and there's predictive parenting. So if you can learn to predict your child's behavior, similar to like what I do, I know all of my animals and I, because I've hand raised them, I understand meaning since weaning and some of them, like even two baby goats, we got last year at 10 days old. I know what's going to spook them. I know what's, which ones are going to go at it. I know which ones to watch out for when we're, you know, in a group of people, like I know which ones will be more easily petted, which ones are going to run away. Um, if you can do that with your child. So, you know, for instance, that if you change something in the room, because remember, you have to look at this like autism, they don't like change. So why then would you wonder why they threw the computer controller at the TV when you just moved their computer from where they thought was going to be in their new computer room to the family room. But you did that, you know, and, and then you were like, well, why are you getting so upset about that? Well, if you understand this, a 15 year old boy who wants a computer room and now you had temporarily moved it into this room, which he thinks is his, And without telling him, you moved it back into the family room. Like, I don't want to say, what did you expect? But like, you have to, it's kind of like when you do social stories with children with, with autism spectrum, you tell them ahead of time, what's going to happen. So they can predict the outcome. They can feel more comfortable in the setting that they're in. Well, maybe because children with, um, Usually children who have an FASD, they, they get it a little bit more, you know, maybe they get more of the nuances and maybe parents don't have to go full on with a social story. Although I think it is helpful to tell people what to expect. Like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of children with the FASD do better if with an unstructured day, like a Saturday or a Sunday, if you tell them ahead of time, here's what we're going to be doing you know, and, and here's where I'm going to be. Here's where dad's going to be. You know, you're going to be at grandma's, but here's where dad and I are going to be, or you're going to go with me on these errands. And then we're going to go to grandma's, you know, at least tell them something because so often you see so many of the meltdowns happening. And if you would have predicted, you know, just like taking time to 
to predict, okay, if we have all this change going on, if we have all these activities going on, how is my child going to do instead of at the end of it saying, well, why did they get so upset? You know, if I introduce a ton of new people to my goats, I can't say to them ahead of time, you know, hey, let's, let's just have a group meeting here. We're, we're about to have, you know, people coming in. But what I can do is I can tell the people coming in what to expect. And I can, I can predict what's going to happen and keep the animals kind of at bay, you know, at certain times. And the animals are used to a routine that I've already established. So they know where I'm going to meet them, that goats now with their new pasture, like we've, we've spent a lot of time, like helping them understand where we're going to meet them when we're ready to go down into the forest. So I think if you can, if you can just like have routines and have structure, and then when you're going to veer from the structure as a parent, try to help the child understand what the change is going to be and help them prepare for it and, and get their input. Hey, what would you like to happen before, you know, we get ready to go to grandma's or, you know, what's going to make it easier for you. And sometimes they won't know. Sometimes they're too little, you know, and you just have to like plan ahead. And some parents innately or intuitively know, you know, what to do. And then other parents, you know, it just kind of catches them off guard because they're not, they're not really planning. And, and some children, I mean, it's just no matter what you do, it's, it's really complex, you know, because they have complex trauma histories, they have the neurodevelopmental issues, and, um, you know, it's, it's just too complex. But anyway, I've, I've, um, I feel like I've, almost worn out my welcome with your never, never, <laughs> never. And all you listening, Dr. Rich will be back on because I owe her a mule. <laughs> that <laughs> was our running joke. It. So where, where I live in North Carolina is known for, uh, being mule country. Um, I'll let you Google that. And, um, uh, Dr. Rich and I were talking and, and we were talking about our affinity for Highland calves and how, oh, oh, how we oh. want to each have one. If, if, you know, my husband said we don't have animals on, on our little blueberry farm, but if I could get a Highland calf, I, I think I might get them to, to, to agree. So we're trying to figure out how to get a Highland calf for Dreamcatcher. Um, but we were just joking, um, that, that we need a mule on Dreamcatcher meadow because mules are like the only animal that coyotes are actually afraid of. And I was telling that to Dr. Rich and I was like, we got to get a mule up there to be like the bodyguard of, <laughs> of, of the farm. So this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And I will be posting all of this information in our program notes today. So I believe I told you last time during our exclusive interview, um, but I'd love to end our episodes on hope. And I know you are about hope too, because you have been working in the FASD community for so long and you've done so much. And before we do our hope takeaway, first of all, thank you. Thank you for all the work you've done. And just thank you for the support that you have been for the FASD community. It, it really just, when I talk to professionals like you who do this because you genuinely care about, you know, people in the FASD community, it just really makes, it gives me hope. It gives me hope the work that you've done and the work that you're doing. It gives me hope. So first of all, from all of the parents, you know, who, who listen, thank you, Dr. Rich, you know, you're what so you do welcome. is so, so, so important and so 
so appreciated. So now let's end our episode on hope. What words of hope can you give to parents who are listening out there, no matter what stage of the journey or caregivers, or even, even those who are, you know, living with FASD, what words of hope can you provide? I believe that each and every one of these individuals who have an FASD, who, who had prenatal alcohol exposure, have superhuman abilities and that it's like a person who has blindness, that if you're going to expect the person who is blind to come anywhere, it could be to my farm, it could be to the grocery store, anywhere and find an item um, without braille or some other, you know, thing, then, you know, it's the fault of society, right? But that same person who is blind, you know, if provided the right instructional materials, you know, braille, you know, taught um, in the ways that they need to do, they can go on and achieve greatness in life. And I think um, neurodevelopmental issues are the last frontier in inclusion. And it's really a fault of society for not doing a better job with that. But we just have to keep pushing and knowing that these individuals, whereas their brain development in certain areas is, is not what it should be, there's still potential for rewiring like trees that have been pruned. And then the um, shoots and the stems and the branches will come back in other areas. So sometimes you get better connections, like you see a kid who has visual spatial perception that's off the charts, or their relative strength is in hand-eye coordination, or their relative strength is going to be in um, caring for animals and really having an innate you know, connection with animals. So watch your child, find what their strengths are, know them, and and honor them, you know, um, around those strengths and try to find that within them that is their true gift and potential that they can then launch into a career, you know, give them building blocks for developing their careers. I mean, people did that many, many years ago, like, you know, decades ago, they would help people um, find their career aspirations early and help them build upon that with skill sets. So I have hope and I wouldn't have, you know, entered public health school and then medical school, which was itself very painful. And then, you know, five years of psychiatry training and then child psychiatry training. If I thought these kids could not be helped, like I believe in my heart and I know in my brain that these kids can be helped and I've seen it happen. And it's as simple as lowering their arousal, cocooning them, you know, so that they don't go into fight or flight because that creates toxins in their brain and, and doing the things with positive parenting and positive reinforcement that would help them develop into healthy, you know, young adults, you know, staying away from alcohol, tobacco, other drugs, all the things that we do as parents, we try to do. And it will be a hard journey, but it will in the end be a very rewarding journey 
And, um, you know, I really have hope for our whole society. If we can, as a society, embrace these individuals, it's a little bit like the mutants, you know, on the, you know, in my view, it's, it's like, um, the X-Men, I say, you know, they all have a superpower and until they learn to harness their superpower, they might be looking like a mutant, but then once they learn to harness their superpower, they will feel like the superheroes they really are. And it's up to all of us to find for these children those outlets where they can have their superpowers shine versus being held back by society and pushed down and thrown into the ditch because of the things they can't do. There's plenty they can do, plenty they can do. And um, anyway, I'm, I feel very grateful and, and blessed to have had the opportunity to work with so many families and so many communities in the time that I've been doing this work. And I will continue to do it despite, in spite of, and to spite efforts, uh, you know, to the contrary, I will, I will continue to, to fight, you know, this fight and, you know, big alcohol or not, you know, I, I believe we all need to continue doing what we do. So thank you, Natalie, to you and John, you know, for doing your podcast. I know that people are, are very grateful and, um, you know, that the whole FASD community, you know, they need more voices like yours, you know, like Dr. Seuss and his Horton Hears a Who, you know, it takes every mm-hmm. voice shouting and beating your oompas and, right. and trumpets and saying, we're here. Exactly. Until the voices rise to the level that it will pop and everyone will hear it. I love that analogy. I didn't even think about that, but I love that analogy. And so we're going to end on that note. So Dr. Susan Rich, thank you so much again for being on FASD. You are so welcome. Thank you, Natalie. Be well. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.